welcome to Teach the Word. Uh, today's topic is going to be about um, humans, the makeup of mankind. What is it, what we are uh, from the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about that topic? Um, let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We need your spirit in our hearts and our lives because it is your word that we seek to understand and it, and it is your spirit uh, that uh, gave your word and it's your spirit that brings your word to life. So we pray, Lord God, bring your word to life today in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, you may wonder why the topic um, seems to have been something that was certainly important to European Christians for uh, a while um, in the uh, <clears throat> past three, four centuries. Um, maybe not. I, I don't know. Perhaps also in other circles of Christianity, but certainly in that circle of Christianity, there's some heated discussions about the view of man, um, how the Bible would speak about man. So, first off, let's just read something I read today in my quiet time from Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Him is Jesus. And he, that's Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Uh, I brought this passage up for two reasons. One is, Jesus is making a statement. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Kind of implying that there could be different readings of what is written, different understandings uh, about what is written. And I think that's what happens with a uh, view, view of man. Uh, what, what's the makeup of man? Because we have, I think, the two really uh, heated points are there's a two-part division of man or a three-part division. Um, but anyways, you may wonder why this would be important. Uh, I wouldn't really be the person to ask that. I, I don't actually think it's important other than as an artifact, you know, kind of like a 19th century hangover into modern Christianity. But the doctrines that you would support with a position are important. But I would not think that the position inherently backs you into a corner doctrinally. Uh, so, let's just look at this idea. So, that passage we just read is a passage where it seems like a comprehensive statement of, of all of your being is trying to be communicated. Let me read it again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. It's kind of a, all this, all that, all that. And you could think... There's four parts given there, right? Heart, soul, strength, and mind. So you might say, oh, there's a four-part division of man. Jesus, Jesus is upholding it, and it's a quote from Deuteronomy. Um, 
I just want to point out that uh, there are a number of reasons why you really shouldn't go to the Bible to, to find out a philosophical sketch of man's makeup because, first off, the Bible's not interested in delineating uh, things into discrete categories um, in, in a way that, uh, certainly not in a way that 19th century Europeans were. So it's not going to help you uh, very well with your quest to parse up man into two parts, three parts, four parts, whatever. Um, it's not its purpose, all right? So that's a big problem. Not the purpose of the Bible to do that. The Bible does give us a very large view of man, very comprehensive anthropology, I would say, but it's not going to delineate this. Um, another problem is the language differences. There, there's uh, worldview differences and language differences. You know, for example, um, I found in uh, modern English translations uh, six places where different translations will will, will translate um, my whole being or all of my being, you know, a totality of who we are as a person. Uh, this is Hebrew uh, phrases, and, and, and it's never the same Hebrew phrase. In fact, five different Hebrew phrases are, are expressions are rendered my whole being or all of my being. We can look at them. Uh, let's look at them. Psalm 16.9. They may not all be rendered my being or my whole being in the version I'm reading from, but in commonly used English versions, they are. Uh, uh, you'd have to look around, maybe NIV. This is New King James. I don't know. It's not really that common of a version, but the version I use, uh, let's just read it. 16, but if you looked at ESV or NASB or NIV, uh, you know, NLT, you know, these common translations at these six passages I'm going to read, you'd, you'd find that it was translated in, in somewhere in, in one of those versions as my whole being or all of my being. The reason why is because the translators seem to understand the Hebrew to try to be communicating the totality of the person. So let's look at Psalm 16, 9. Probably would do better to look at it in Hebrew, no? Probably. Uh, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. All right, this is pretty clear. We pretty much know what they're talking about in Hebrew. So they got heart, they've got my glory, and they got my flesh, right? And uh, I believe that the thing that's translated my whole being is my glory. Uh, not obviously in this version, but in some versions. Uh, so let's just jump, jump to the next one it would be Psalm 35, 10. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. All right. So, uh, bones, some translations will render all of my bones as my whole being. Uh, there's reason for that. Um, Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. 
So we got soul and flesh there, right? I don't know what is translated as all my being or maybe the whole kit and caboodle. My whole being thirsts and longs for you. I don't know how. I don't know what version that one was. Uh, Psalm 84, 2. Why am I making a big deal about what translators translate as my whole being? You know, what do translators really know anyways? Well, translators know quite a bit about what they think something means. We rely on translators to tell us what the Bible means. So that's why I'm making a big deal about when translators say my whole being or all of my being. Because I have reason to think that that's what it would mean. 84, 2. Psalms. Every, even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her youngs. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. That makes no sense at all. I can't possibly be right. Alright, that's the wrong version. Or wrong verse. Verse 2, that's what it's supposed to be. 84.2. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Heart and flesh. Um, and we can just keep going. Psalm 108, 1. You notice these are all poems, songs and poems. Not really a place you would go for discrete philosophical categories, but certainly where you would find people talking about the world, how they view it. Uh, Psalm 108, um, 108, 1. Oh my oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. So you have the glory one again. So then Isaiah 1 14. Um Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. This is God speaking, actually. Uh, so, you have soul being translated as my whole being in some versions. You have my glory being translated as my whole being in some versions. You have my bones being translated as my whole being. You have my heart and my flesh translated as my whole being. Um, you get an idea uh, that there's a wide range of, of meaning, uh, a wide range of ways of expressing the totality of one's being, and might not find, um, very easily find, uh, you know, huh. it was just a discrete statement of this is what makes up the, the person in the Bible. All you have, to, all you have, what you're relying on is descriptions of where, there, where it seems pretty clear all of the person is uh, is being talked about. So I just gave you five, in, six instances where the translators of the English Bibles actually choose to use the phrase, my whole being or all of my being. Uh, there's other places, dozens and dozens, where the translators don't choose to use that phrase, but it's clear um, sense-wise that that's what, what they intend to communicate. Like when Jesus and that man were talking in the passage I read at the beginning from Luke 10. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Is that what I was? But all of you. 
uh, is the idea. Uh, so the one place we could go is the original place that that's a quote from Deuteronomy 6. So we can read that. It's quoted in Greek totally different than it appears in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, it's a three-part phrase. And in Greek, when it's quoted, it's a four-part phrase. Interesting, no? And in the, each of the Gospels, when, uh, the four or the three synoptic Gospels, it, it's different. Each time it, it appears, it's, uh, it's not always the same phrase. So the, the, the words in Greek that are in the phrase, whether it's three parts or four parts, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, and they're not the same words. So, and it's not the same in Deuteronomy. So it'd be hard to use this as a, as a way to come up with the parts of man. But what is it in Deuteronomy 6, 5? This is in the middle of the hero Israel passage, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, or uh, your mode is what it is in Hebrew, which is not a normal word for strength. It's it's an intensifier, like uh, usually means very. It's used as a as an adverb. Here it's used as a noun, but usually is is uh, you know like you know something or other. Oh, adverb I can think of tov mode, very good. You know. Uh, when God created the world on the sixth, seventh day, the Lord said that all that he had made was very good. I, I'm, that's probably my ode there as an adverb. Here it's a noun, meaning might, and it's translated might. Does it mean might? Well, who knows? But, you, you know, that same phrase, you, you would think that this, this expression, all your heart, all your soul, all your might, heart, uh, it's lev, nefesh, and ma'od in Hebrew. Those three are a way of expressing all of a being in Hebrew because um, you find that phrase elsewhere trying to communicate the the whole uh, kit and caboodle of the person I, I'm not sure where but it's in it's in a uh, it's either in Kings or Chronicles um, and you find that's only twice but then you find the phrase heart and soul dozens and dozens of times so all of all of all of the heart all of the soul. This is in the Hebrew Bible. Um, many times used in a sense that communicates the whole, and sometimes just all of the, all of my heart, all of their heart, and it's kind of makes same leads one to think of the whole, uh, whole being. So it seems like the Hebrews uh, had a phrase: all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mode, might, which meant all of you, and they would shorten it periodically to just all of heart, all of soul. And sometimes just all of heart, but it still meant all of you. That's my own little case I'm making. I, I'm not uh, not actually giving uh, you know references for these, um, but but there's lots of Hebrew expressions. So the Deuteronomy one. There's other ones uh, like that we didn't just look at in Psalms. There's there's others in the poetry. They're not necessarily translated all of my being, but let's just look at. I don't think we should look up all these references, but here they are. Psalm 7, 5. Let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. My honor. It sounds a heck of a lot like my glory. I wonder if it is my glory in Hebrew. So that would be the same as the my glory phrases. Uh, 
I have a whole list here. I got a whole list of expressions translated as uh, different ways that communicate all of one's being. So uh, Psalm 73, 26, Proverbs 4, 22, Proverbs 16, 24, Isaiah 1, 5, and 6, Jeremiah 23, 9, Jeremiah 32, 41, Ezekiel 27:7. Then I got the ones in the Gospels, which are, which are quoting Deuteronomy 5, like Matthew 5, 29 through 30, 10, 28, Mark 14, 38, Luke 10, 27, Romans 2, you know, 28 uh, and 29, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 3 through 5, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Hebrews 4, 12, 3 John 1, 2, uh, so these, uh, you know, expressions sometimes have two parts. This is, this is all that list I just gave you, you know, sometimes they have four parts, um, you know, like three parts. Uh, look at a very famous one, Thessalonians, uh, 523, you know, it's, it's a key verse really in this whole debate about three parts to man or two parts. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I think it's an important one, so we'll just read it. Uh, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them preserved blameless. All of them. Whole spirit, soul, and body. So that phrase is spirit, soul, and body. Uh, Hebrews uh, Four, you know Hebrews four twelve. You got uh, where are we going here? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So you got four or five parts there, depending on how you count in, uh, in Hebrews four. Uh, what verse is that? 12. Hebrews 4.12. Oh, you know, you got uh, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Could read that. Just because it's a, it's a New Testament phrase. It's a little bit unique. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Um, another one is Third John. Get a window into the way people are thinking by how they're talking. Third John, verse two. Beloved, I pray that you may be prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Uh, kind of a two-part thing there. All right, that's enough. So you get the idea. So it could be one word, like heart or soul or glory or bones. It could be multiple words. Um, fascinating idea that the Hebrew, Deuteronomy 6.5, heart, soul, and, and might, it's translated into Greek as heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. They want to throw mind in there because they don't feel like heart and soul and, and might communicate the idea of mind in order. They're trying to communicate the whole being in Greek rather than in Hebrew, different language, slightly different worldviews. They throw mind in there. I think that's fascinating. But anyways, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, what really... Why does this matter? It doesn't. The, the number of parts doesn't actually matter. What, but the doctrines that one holds and, and how they, um, they use a view of two parts, three parts, four parts, one part to argue for those doctrines, those doctrines actually matter. They're, they're important. And you can, you can go awry with, with some of these. Uh, you know, there's doctrines that are kind of tied quite tightly, you know, have their, their teeth into one of these views of how many parts make up man, right? And so, the doctrine may be bad, but the view is in, is indefinite. The scripture is not not particularly clear. Um, uh, for example, uh, there's. Let me just give you the arguments for a, uh, a one 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 part making up man view. Why why would people argue for that from the Bible? Why would they think that from the Bible? Well, um, there there's there's evidence. In, in the language, linguistic, cultural linguistic evidence, um, well, uh, for one, the uh, the Bible doesn't seem to distinguish very strongly between um, the, uh, you know, uh, material and immaterial uh, lines, you know, the, the physical and the spiritual. That's not a strong distinction in the in the Bible, certainly not in the Old Testament, as, uh, as the distinction between the created and the uncreated. That seems to be the major distinction the two groups there's a that's the kind of a, a breakup in the bible like um oh, you know um well, why don't we look at uh colossians uh 1 16 17 real quick just because you know this is writing in greek not hebrew but it's a reiterating the creation account for the audience. What it meant. Ah, uh, for by him, this is Colossians 1 16. This is Jesus. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones. Or dominions, or principalities, or power. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things he may have the preeminence. So what's the distinction here? We got the Son, the Father and the Son, and the created things. Uh, other evidence of this, if you read uh, Genesis 1 and 2, that's the, that's the original creation count, account in Hebrew. You have God speaking into existence everything, whether it's physical or spiritual, whether it's visible or invisible, seen or unseen, thrones or principalities or powers, you know, you know angelic things or not. The, it's one lump category, the created and the uncreated. Um, there's other creation accounts in the Hebrew Bible, in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 104, Psalm 147 is kind of like a, Reiterations of creation. Uh, maybe we could look at them. They might be slightly shorter than Hebrew or Genesis one and two. 
Well, not really that much shorter, but uh, just read the beginning of Psalm 104. O Lord, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks on the wings of the wind. He makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You who covered it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. Um, you go on, you read through this, you see the principal actors, God, and everything is moving about and, and happening at his word. You got the strong distinction between creator and the creation, creator, creature. Um, that's the dualism. So why do I why do I harp on this? Uh, because there's a worldview framework with uh, with the Hebrew people that uh, God and creation, and there's a that's the two parts of their their reality, the creator and the created, rather than the physical and the spiritual, which is the two parts of our uh, well. A Greek conception of the world, which, which the uh, the Western world inherited, which so us today in America as American Christians, that's that would be our main uh, understanding of a of a distinction would be spirit. If you're kind of two parts to reality, it'd be spiritual and physical. I don't, I I'm making an argument that, that if you read passages in the Hebrew Bible, go read like you know Job 34 or 38 through 41 or you know, Isaiah 55, particularly verses 8 and 9, or, you know, read the beginning of John 1, uh, beginning of Hebrews 1. You see that uh, they seem to have a conception of creation, creation and creator. That's the discrete break. Um, in other words, they have a very blurred line between physical and spiritual, material and material. Uh they don't have a line really uh so what else so so that's a, that's a that's why you would have people would argue for a cohesionist view of man because uh the words like spirit in hebrew uh would be what ruach or um soul in hebrew would be nefesh those words you know they can be translated as spirit or soul but um you know they can also be translated very fluidly they could refer strictly to the physical so you could have you know let's look at judges 15 um you know this is this is the word ruach um and it sounds an awful lot like uh spirit you know sounds an awful lot like uh talking about physical stamina uh judges 15 Energy would be our word for it, a very physical thing. Uh, you know, this is Samson. He's, you know, been thrashing people's skulls and beating people to death with a, a bone, or a donkey's jawbone. And uh, he's, he's at the end of doing that. Where are we here? Somewhere, fifteen, nineteen, And he says, what does he say? And he says, uh, 
You have given this great deliverance, this is verse 18, by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in the the lehi, which is the means jawbone, but it seems maybe it's the geographical location. That's what it seems like. And water came out, and he drank, and his spirit revived, returned, and he revived. Therefore, he called its name En Hakor. So, drinking water is causing his spirit to revive. It's giving him energy. Spirit is very much conceived of as also physical. Um, you know, you could do the same thing with other things, uh, with the words Renathish, which is which is soul. Um, you know, you can have... Nefesh could mean a dead body. Yes, a corpse. It's translated as corpse sometimes. It could mean... Um, seems to be strictly what we would think of as spiritual, but it could mean um, maybe both. Uh, and that seems to be the case with with spirit also. That the, you know, these words, heart, you know, seem like they could mean uh, the whole totality of the human. You know, they use, the Hebrews use the word bones to refer to the totality of the human. Um, or they could mean just the physical part or just the spiritual part, depending on the, the context, right? Well, if the word's got that much fluidity, that's a, that's a linguistic case for the fact that in the conceptualization of the people speaking that language, they're not uh, making uh, a discrete uh, linear breaks between the physical, the spiritual, or the material. It's all lumped together. That's an argument for a cohesionist uh, viewpoint. Um, maybe is that, is that is that enough of an argument? Um, I'd say probably. Let's go on to to uh, so cohesionist would be one part, right? So now we go to dichotomist, two parts. Um, so why why two parts? Well. There's a lot of reasons why two parts. This, if, if you were going to ask me what I thought maybe seemed to be the Bible's majoring on when it's talking about a man, or mankind, I'd say it's, it's this, this idea, inner outer. The theme woven throughout uh, the Bible, Old and New Testaments, is this idea of an inner man and an outer man. Um, let's look at a few Old Testament passages and a New Testament passage. How about we go to Psalm. Why am I just pulling off a bunch of poems? Well, poems really give you a window into worldview. They do. You betray your worldview in your poetry. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in with, within me. Bless his holy name. So you got this inner part. All that is within. Bless his holy name. I mean, there's better passages for inner and outer. Let's if we can find a better one because that one was rather lame don't you think I do now let's try the Isaiah one I got written here Isaiah 16 11 therefore my heart shall resound like a harp for Moab and my inner being for Kir Harris okay well where's the outer inner outer no I'm just doing inner 
It's got references for inner. Okay. Let's see, Jeremiah 31. The Lord, 31.3, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That doesn't sound right, does it? Doesn't sound like the right passage to me. So we'll skip that one. We'll go to a New Testament passage. So, inner man. How about Romans 2? How are we doing here time-wise? Oh, not that bad. It's only a half hour. Romans 2. For he is not a Jew who... 28. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. Praise is not from God. So you got an inner outer theme there from Paul. There really is better inner man. You desire truth in the inward parts. That's David when he's making his confession in Psalm 51. Uh, but maybe I don't have a reference because there's no, I couldn't find an Old Testament verse that contained both inner and outer in one contrast. Um, so there's other, there's linguistic evidence for this kind of inner man idea, and certainly in Hebrew. Um, for example, uh, all kinds of organs are used in Hebrew um, to mean the inner part, uh, like the heart is the most common one. Uh, liver comes up a lot. If you actually want a reference for, for, for some of these, you, you can do a concordance search. And you'll like a strong concordance to see a bunch of different Hebrew words. Well, these are the words. You know, It's a word for lev, for heart. Liver, I have no idea. Kidneys, intestines, stomach chambers. So, heart. A good one for heart would be 1 Kings 8.23. I think that has heart, soul, and might in it. That's the other one. That's like uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. And liver, Lamentations 2.11. Uh, kidneys, Psalm 7.9. Intestines, Jeremiah 31.20. I bet that's what I was just looking for when I was in Jeremiah. Stomach chambers, Proverbs twenty twenty seven. So, if you can use all these different inner parts, so that you know, are you going to say that in the Hebrew conception, you know, that people were made up of the the heart and the liver and the kidneys and the intestines and the stomach, and these were all or chamber hedre beten, I think, is the stomach chambers, rooms of the stomach or the or the womb. And th there's all these different parts. No, I, I think the best way. If, it's the way the, co the dichotomous viewpoint is, you know, all these things are talking about the inner man, the, the part you don't really see, that part, the, the inner workings where your your thoughts and your what your desires, you know, and then there's the outer, the physical. Um, huh, so, but heart, soul, spirit, those are the most common terms in uh, in Hebrew. For the inner man, so that's heart. Uh, so lev, nefesh, and ruach, most common, uh, and and also in Greek, I'd say that those are the most common terms you're going to find. Uh, 
So, shall we? Shall we just look up uh, some New Testament passages so we know that I'm not making something up? Sure, why not? Uh, I'll give you some Old Testament references. One Samuel seventeen thirty-two, Psalm one forty-three six, Zechariah twelve one. Should find heart, soul, and spirit there in Hebrew. And in Greek, heart, soul, and spirit. Acts eight thirty-seven, three John one two, and John nineteen thirty. Let's just go to John nineteen thirty for the sake of going somewhere where we don't know what we're going to find because I don't recognize the reference. So Jesus, when he had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And then he's dead. Spirit without the body is dead is another passage we find in the New Testament. The body without the spirit is dead, right? Uh, so you got the inner going, leaving Jesus, going to God at his death. All right, so that's, a, that's why people might think of man as two parts. Because there's a theme running through the... Testaments of inner and outer man, spirit and flesh. Um, certainly in the New Testament, more well-developed spirit and flesh. So why would people why would people say there's more parts? Like, uh, why would people say three? Well, there's a number of, of, of descriptions that are trichotomists. So trichotomists is when they say three. Um, well, the creation of man is a is a good one. Um, if you were to read the creation of man, you would you would three you would see three steps. Um, shall we read Genesis two seven? The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. See the three steps? Forming him of the dust, breathing into his nostrils, and then becoming a living being. So there you have forming like a physical flesh. The breathing, which is quite similar to spirit. It's breath, though, which is not spirit. It's believe it be Rashima breathed into his nostrils the breath of life maybe Rishmet Chaim I don't know I'm not looking at this in Hebrew obviously I'm looking at it in New King James so it's a different word than spirit it's not Ruach it's it's a word for breath which is Rishima um which could possibly be Rishima I don't really know I mean we'd have to look at it and I don't even know if Rishima means breath and, and why that's in my head it's in my head. I, you know, I do know some Hebrew, modern Hebrew. Uh, so maybe that's coming from modern Hebrew. So then uh, we have... Doo -doo 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 -doo. Well, we have God having three parts. A trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what do we have? Let us make man in our image. In the image of God created he him. So you have an imago dei. The, the, that's Latin for image of God. So, if that's an argument used for the tripartite, if we're made in God's image, then we have three parts, like God. God has Father, Son, Spirit. Well, then we have body, soul, and spirit, to be analogous. Uh, 
so we have uh, so we got that three part description of man's creation um, you find this elsewhere too not just in Genesis 2 the initial creation account but if you look at other places where creation is uh, spoken of you'll see a three-part thing like uh, Job 33 this is poetry again but poetry talking about creation of man and uh, what do we have in the poetry Job 33 and uh, somewhere 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 in here so this is Elihu talking Elihu's um, you know not the kind of if you read through Job you see that Elihu's portrayed as kind of like a blowhard he's just he's just talk 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 and don't listen to him kind of saying he's full of it. It, it mocked mocked is the word I was looking for so Job 33 4 the Spirit of God has made me the breath of the Almighty gives me life so there you have uh, I guess that's just like an allusion back to uh, creation Spirit of God has made me the breath of the Almighty gives me life an allusion back to that Genesis 2 7 verse and uh, maybe this uh, Jeremiah or uh, that was Job Isaiah 42 5 maybe that's another allusion back to the same thing I'm not sure why I have these references here if I was like making a professional video I wouldn't be sitting in my car's driver's seat like I am here and I also wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be just filming myself without having looked up these references to begin with thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread forth the earth and which Isaiah 42 5 who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it so there you have breath and spirit as poetic parallels so God gives the spirit um, all right so the three-part three-step description of the creation of man then you've got these uh, passages um, well Creation in the in the tri image of a triune God, right? So in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. But then you have, um, well, you got more. So if you look at regeneration passages, like uh, let's look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, or Colossians 2, 11 through 14. Those are parallel passages, but we can look at them both. Read me. Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Okay, two. Where was I? Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And he made you alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we were once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So there seems to be uh, uh, this idea of, of a dead part of the man. If you have a, a human... Thinking of them as in discrete parts, there's this part of you that's dead, 
and you're brought to life. Right? So this this is kind of his evidence that uh, there's a mutually exclusiveness between spirit and soul. Soul is this Greek concept for, you know, the mental, the intellect, thinking, the emotion. Right? So you have that. You have your thinking, your intellect, your emotion. You have your physical body. And then there's this other part of you that's dead and then comes alive. Uh, so this idea of there being three parts, at least maybe only four Christians, and then everyone else has two parts, maybe, I don't know. But that's that's an argument that's why people would think of a three-part division from Scripture. Um, and then there's passages that use three parts, you know. that They describe the totality of man, and they have three parts in them. Uh, Kings, 23-35. Second Kings, 23-35. Psalm, 7-5. Jeremiah, 4-19. Matthew, 22-37. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We read some of these earlier. We read the Thessalonians one. Let's read the Kings one because I think we've we've actually found it now. This is the passage that is very much a parallel passage to Deuteronomy 6.5. I mentioned the passage earlier that probably was, but I, I don't think it was. 2 Kings 23.35. I think we've, we've, we've found it, so to speak. We've, we've got the jackpot. Um, so... Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh. That don't sound so good, does it? It sounds like we're way off. So much for the jackpot, huh? So, so Jehoiakim, 2 Kings 23. It's not 35, it's 25. Okay, better. Now, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, Ma'od, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. So you have a three-part division. Heart, soul, and might, or mode. Um, now, there's, there's also polytonomists' views. So multiple, you know, four or more parts. And and why would people hold this view? You know, are they just, you know, wanting to be, you know, ridiculous or stretch stretch something to the end? No, they they actually they're they're concerned about passages in the Bible that describe the makeup of man and they use using more uh than just two terms or three. You know, these are totality phrases. Phrases that try to describe the totality of the of the being the human human being and and they're uh, they got more like let's look at proverbs proverbs 3 5 what does proverbs 3 5 say well i'll read it to you trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh, and it will be strength to your bones. Now, these are English translations, but, you know, we've got health for flesh, strength for bones. We've got understanding. We've got heart. Um... You know, flesh, bones, understanding, heart. 
you know, you, you would wonder, <clears throat> he's trying to say, with all you got, go after God. Give it your all. And uh, in that poetically talking about it, he's using a lot of different descriptors of a man. So what about the Greek uh, where uh, you have uh, love the Lord your God instead of with all your heart, soul, and mind, or heart, soul, and might, the Greek phrase in the New Testament when they quote Deuteronomy 6, 5, they add mind. That's four parts. Or uh, how about Psalms 20, uh, let's go to Proverbs uh, 5, 11. Where they have uh, flesh and body. So there's two Hebrew words for the physical, like two different parts. It's almost like the physical is split into two parts. Um, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. So it's not saying when your flesh is consumed or when your body is consumed, but when your flesh and your body. So it's a way in which they were splitting up the physical into multiple parts using their vocabulary. What's the vocabulary behind that? It's, it's Hebrew words that I don't know. Um, so, just just showing that uh, you have you have multiple possibilities. You could have you can have multiple solical categories like livers and kidneys and and uh, stomach chambers, and these are referring to immaterial parts of you that would relate to God, and then you can have multiple descriptions of the body. Um, so, so why, why, I mean, why on earth, why talk about this for 50 minutes here? I mean, I'm going on 50 minutes, like, what gifts? Uh, d does it actually matter? Um, no, I'd say it doesn't. Uh, it's very unclear. If you're going to take the Bible and you're going to try to argue, the Bible says you as a human being are made up of one part, two parts, three parts, four parts. You're not going to get very far because that's not the purpose. The Bible didn't set out to to delineate what man was. And I think most people in most cultures don't actually think like that or care like that. I actually think the hyper-focus on categorization and delineation, like I said at the beginning, is some kind of a hangover from 19th century European thought, Western thinking, and, 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 and more in the past than now. We're in a different kind of cultural era, where we call it what, the, the postmodern era, the... the uh, what do you call it? The plural, the era of plural narratives, where um, you know there's not one thing, and then discrete delineation doesn't really matter. But not that long ago, a hundred years ago, a little more modern era, modern man, and discrete delineation of breaking things up into categories was very important to people. Um, it was very important culturally. So. Western Christians were doing that with different things, and, and they were doing it with man. So if you're going to read, you know, some some discussion going on between within the, you know, any any research or reading into the history of Christianity, Western Christianity, you're going to find particularly focusing on the dichotomist and trichotomist view of man. You know, two or three parts. You know, arguing back and forth. Uh, I, I've tried to show that the Bible 
not, not the Bible's purpose to separate man up like that. And plus, there's linguistic and cultural barriers in thought of thought, um, where the, the Hebrew language is different than the Greek language for expressing all of man. The Hebrew thinking about what made up man is different than the Greek thinking. The Hebrew thinking about the discrete categories of reality slightly different than the Greek. I really think the Hebrew thinking is greater creature, and the Greek is more physical, spiritual, visible, invisible. Um, so you're going to be really hampered, and uh, <clears throat> it's not. It's also not important. What is important, though, is doctrines where you go with it. So if you argue that man is made up of one sole part, but it's only physical, and you you dispense with this with the. Uh, spiritual aspect of things that's heretical it's a problem that's actually what modern scientific uh, materialism is it says there's only matter materialism just matter you as a human are just matter you don't you're just a brain you know brain neurons firing there's no um part of you that's uh separate that would leave your body and your body would die and then this other part would continue living right a soul or an immaterial part, as Cartesian dualism would, would uh, you know, conceptualize it. Talking about Rene Descartes' philosophy, which clearly has influenced the Christianity and the thoughts uh, of the Church on anthropology, how man's made up. But um, so if you were, if you're gonna, you're gonna use, you're gonna take a, a cohesionist viewpoint, or which is a one. It's just one category, one makeup of man, created matter, created rather than a creature, and a physical material kind of lumped in there. That's okay. It's biblical. It's coherent. It's consistent with the Bible. But if you're going to argue that you're just matter, that's not okay. That's heretical. It's not consistent with the Bible. So you could have a cohesionist viewpoint that was orthodox and one that was unorthodox. Um, you know, you could do this with, with, with any, uh, any of them, uh, you know, uh, you could, you could take, uh, physical, uh, spiritual and, uh, what is it? Body, soul, spirit, uh, uh, the typical trichotomous view from Thessalonians five, the end of Thessalonians five, uh, first Thessalonians where it says, you know, Paul's talking about your whole spirit, soul, and body. If you say that there's three parts, you can you can really uh, make, a, make a serious error if you go um, and say, well, okay, well, there's three parts, so there's the spirit, so that's for, you know, the church and, and biblical things, so I'm just going to let the Bible influence my spirit. But then there's soul, so, you know, I'm going to kind of let... Uh, psychology or you know psychiatry and you know whatever the current thinking is about uh you know emotional health and well-being you know influence me there and uh then body so then i'm gonna let you know the doctors and the, the um medical professionals you know influence me there uh you're you're in dangerous water because you you bought into some kind of a uh a lie of that everything can be broken up and, and is discrete into these categories where it's not and you've the, the danger of your lie is that oh, okay the bible and church and the pastor and all you know christians christianese christian stuff that only affects my spirit 
doesn't have anything to do with my body, doesn't have anything to do with my mind. Um, that's not a biblical idea. It doesn't necessarily fall from dividing up into three parts, but it could, and it would be heretical. It'd be problematic. Uh, it'd get you in, into trouble. You 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 wouldn't be serving God well. So, I think I think that you get the idea. I think my point I'm trying to make is that this may be a little bit boring. It may not be that important. Uh, like actual, like practical. It might not be very practical, but it's certainly something worth knowing about because it's part of the history of the discussion of Christian thought uh, in the West. So, you know, something you ought to interact with. The Bible clearly is not setting out to make um, an argument about uh, the makeup of man. And there's like real differences in Hebrew and Greek thought and, and language used to express the whole of what makes up man. And uh, you could, you could, I would say, quite easily come up with a cohesionist, you know, one part, just the created man's one thing. Non, non discrete, no other discrete parts. Uh, you could come up with a two part inner outer. You could come up with a three part body, soul, spirit. You could come up with multiple other kinds of three part divisions. You could come up with four, five, six part divisions, depending on which verses you're looking at. Or if you aggregate all of them together, you could get 12 or 13. And that, that'd be fine too. It, it'd be consistent with, with the book. And, and that, it's just a fact. The Bible would allow for for multiple options here. Um, and it's not that important. What is important is what you do with your viewpoint. And if you argue for things that are detrimental or heretical with your division into different parts. So that's it. Um, maybe we should just pray and end it. I'm sorry that this video is not really meaningful, like spiritually. I, I, I don't know that it touches your heart and your soul. Um, it's kind of like on the mind level, and uh, maybe that's a waste. Maybe that's a waste of an hour. Abba Father, we want to serve you with our hearts, with our souls. We want our whole spirit, soul, and body to be to be kept uh, pure. Uh, before you. We want to be cleansed from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, like Second Corinthians 7. We, we, we need your help with that. And Lord, arguing about words and divisions and, and discrete things isn't helping us become pure and holy. So we just come before you asking, help us, Father God, to know you, to know you well, to know who we are better because of you, and to let your word interpret our lives and to surrender ourselves to you and to not try to read weird things into your word or or philosophy build up philosophy out of it in Jesus' name we pray amen